electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. It's been two very different tales of the tape for major retailers this year, with Walmart hitting all-time highs and Target plumbing multi-year lows. Will this week's earnings reports exacerbate that trend? We're counting down to the latest read on the consumer and what it could mean for the markets. Plus, a weight loss wonder, new data on Novo Nordisk Wigovi diabetes drug showing strong results against heart disease, too. But is this and other drugs like it really the cure-all for the industry? And later, a big bet on EVs, one of the nation's biggest pension funds scooping up shares of Tesla and Rivian. So should you bank on these names for some long-term gains? I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a kickoff to retail earnings season. Home Depot leading the charts with its report uh, tomorrow morning. Target, TJX, Walmart, Macy's, and Gap all following close behind. They're not the only reads we get on the consumer this week. CPI and retail sales, of course, also on deck. But a new report suggests the consumer may not be as strong as previously thought. The just-launched real-time retail monitor distributed by CNBC in conjunction with the National Retail Federation and Affinity Solutions shows spending, ex-autos and gas, dropping nearly 0.1% in October and has been decelerating for months. So from Wall Street to Main Street, what should we expect this week, uh, this week's consumer reports to show us here, Guy? What we've seen all along, I think, the, the certain places Walmart's going to continue to do well. I think Target will struggle. The wild card will be Home Depot tomorrow. Now, you go back to the last quarter. Inventories, they got themselves back in line. They were down, I think, 10 and a half, 11 percent year over year which suggests that margins should be good. And this 280 level-ish has been the lower end of a range now we've been in for quite some time. So Home Depot, the wild card, I think you play it from the long side. I'll get fast-fired if I'm wrong. But I think the Walmart target bifurcation or chasm will continue to grow in Walmart's favor. You know, really interesting. The FT uh, ran a poll over the weekend, I think, and it was with the Michigan Ross or something like that. It was talking about the Biden administration's approval on Binomics, basically, and, and a disproportionate amount of people, they, they are not better off four years on. Okay, but here was something that I took away from this I thought was really interesting. In response to inflationary pressure, 65% of voters said they had cut back on non-essential spending, such as holidays or eating out, while 52% said they had reduced spending on food or other day, like our everyday necessities. Mm-hmm. When you think about that stat and you think about that sort of response, now granted, it is through a political lens and these are registered voters and that sort of thing, you say to yourself that inflation is still on... In, like on you know, consumers' minds right now, and it's not going anywhere. So I think we're going to continue to see that through a lot of these retailers. And I do agree that the Home Depot is going to be very important, especially with interest rates where they are and when you think about what like the housing market is doing. But I don't think it's going to be a great read on what consumers are going out and doing in the near term. I think that's going to be more Walmart and Target. I mean, the growth in prices is slowing down, but prices are still going up. I mean, consumers still feel the pain. Yeah, I, I think they are. It's also interesting to me as I read previews of CPI, there seems to be some perception that actually the Fed's had nothing to do with the fall in CPI 
CPI prices, that this is really just about the end of COVID and supply dynamics and things. And if that's the case, by the way, you can't tell me that 500 basis points of hikes aren't going to have an impact. And, and that's where I think people think that the Fed may be overdoing it. Uh, I'll leave myself out of that debate. But I do think that CPI, from a market driver's perspective, I think has less ammunition. I, I just think, you know, we're at this place where looking at CPI numbers either, you know, we could have a hot CPI number, and I think the risk might be to, to uh, the negative upside. But back to the consumer, back to Home Depot, back to Walmart, it really gets to the places where you're willing to pay more for a company. And I think you know, the Home Depot over Lowe's, we talk about Walmart over Target. Home Depot deserves a premium over Lowe's. At some point, I think actually the top down for the home improvement sector is very much intact. But I do think, and we're going to see comps out of Home Depot that are going to be down. They're going to be down 3.5%. Some people are actually pushing those numbers down into numbers. So uh, I, I think CPI, as much as we're focused on it, I think it's a lot more important what we're hearing from these companies about their holiday season. Home Depot might be the cho- choice over Lowe's, but maybe other is a choice if it's Home Depot, Lowe's, or something else. I mean, that's, yeah. that's else, totally unrelated. Exactly. Not right. home improvement. Yes. Because of not home improvement. Yeah. And the consumer. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it is, I, I look at it. It's interesting. The home builders are doing well. That's a little different dynamic, of course, because we don't have those existing homes for sale. But, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, mediocrity priced into Home Depot's numbers, right? They've cut, the stock's come down a long way. Um, you know, it trades at a market multiple. I don't think of this as a market multiple kind of stock. I think of this as a premium multiple kind of stock. But um, long little Home Depot, long lows. I, um, I don't know. I guess in the short term, who knows? I really want to hear what their outlook is. I don't know that this quarter matters so much. I think, you know, I've seen revenue declining over the last couple of years for this quarter, or flattish, let's say. Flattish, but I really want to hear their outlook. And we've heard some uh, commentary from companies about we were a little cautious as the quarter began, but now we're actually starting to see things are shaping up nicely. So that's what I really want to hear. And so listening to the call is going to be really important. It'll be interesting, too, to see what the difference is between the pro segment and the, just the regular retail segment, because we can get very different messages from that. Um, yeah, pro's been great for Home Depot. Let's yeah. be clear. That's part of that multiple, right? And it's part of where they, I think, even during some of the difficult times of COVID, were, were able to extend. There's also dynamics with commodity deflation that should be helping these guys as well, if you think about the margin. But it, you know, it gets back to, again, retail sales. If you're someone that's selling stuff, um, higher ticket sizes and basket sizes is actually good for your stock. You like inflation, um, but I think in this case, actually, it might help them. Well, I'll just say two things. I mean, this is anecdotally. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but, um, you know, Black Friday turned into like like the month of November. It I like mean, like started at Halloween. Right, no, I mean, crazy. I mean, it's super promotional. OK, so like that is going to be that's going to weigh on margins. Let's just be like really clear about that. And so, like, I, you know, I, I mean, kind of takes the pressure off, though, doesn't it? I mean, I don't well, I mean, on, on, yeah, Thanksgiving, you're starting to digest and you're like, I get it. You know, not only did, I don't have to get out there anymore. I know Guy at that point will be waiting outside of a Walmart somewhere. Unlike but, but, Black Friday deals. No, but the fact that you can kind of ease into the holiday shopping. I might be ahead of the game right now. I'm, well, I'm, I'm so getting there. You're the guy who buys the day before. So getting ahead Something. is not the day out. I enjoy yeah. the sport of shopping as much as I can on Christmas Eve, but it's, yeah. it's a good time. I think it's a, real quick. The pro at Home Depot, that's Tim Seymour. <laughs> he you. goes in there for, <laughs> you know, batteries, and he comes out with a chainsaw because you have to they almost. They get me for everything. <laughs> TJX on the 15th, mm. I think, because that stock's making an all-time high as we sit. 20 times, not ridiculous multiple at all. The stock is impervious to seemingly everything. But you know what? Dollar Gen and Dollar Tree were nine months ago as well. So if you start getting hiccups in a TJX like you did in the dollar stores, that actually might tell a really interesting story two days from now. You think we get a hiccup? I, mean, I don't. I think the dollar stores, because very, of the price point, it's a very tricky endeavor. I think that um, 
TJX is sort of its own animal. I had a little bit higher multiple than that, but it's not crazy. They've done a great job. It does trade a little richer than Ross stores in Burlington, but it, it deserves to. But, but one last thing. Wouldn't it be funny if inflation were transitory after all? Well, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, yeah. CPI tomorrow morning, 3.3%. That's still up year over year, 3.3% off of a much higher base that's just been accumulating. You know what I mean? So one other thing I was going to just add is, like, if you think about what we heard from the digital ad companies over the last month or so before, like, I think the market took a turn after that November Google 1st and Facebook. Like, like, they were like, positive. And, and even Disney the other day. Yeah. I mean, like, the, like, there's a lot of trepidation about advertising. When you think about how cyclical that is as a leading indicator to possibly consumer softness. I thought, I, I, I thought it was transitory. I thought it was decent. Seventh. I mean, what? Oh yes. The commentary yes. Was related to what's was going related on in the to East, that, not to the ad market. Improved. Well, I think that's the mulligan that they use right there. I mean, like, like think about that. I mean, I mean, I don't think it. You know, I mean, we didn't even hear. It. Remember that? Remember that day two months ago or a month and a half ago? Snap rallied because they were talking about something, and then even on their conference call, you remember the stock was up like fifteen percent and gave it all back because they had some cautionary comments. So it was Meta, it was Google, it was you know Snap had all these things to say. Look at Twitter's ad revenues but down dramatically. The consumer, but the consumer. Uh, when they gave those numbers, I mean, I think we're, we could argue, I would argue, I know you've been arguing, but I'll say that that consumer was very different three months ago than they are now. This stuff is catching up to them. Again, variability on auto, variability on, on not so much housing, but credit cards and, and, and all kinds of revolving debt. It's catching up. We know that the consumer came out of COVID uh, very flush. We also know that there really is a dynamic here where I, I actually think that, that not only the lag effect of where the Fed is, but um, I just think you've got a lot of pent-up demand that got satisfied. And, and I, I think at some point the unemployment rate is going above 5%. And I think that's really the story. I think these companies haven't had to down, uh, push down expectations because the numbers have been really, really strong. But I think we are in a different place. If we get to five, and I agree with you on the five, mm-hmm. I think it's going to happen faster than people think. I think there are a lot of people who believe this would be some linear thing, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8. No, it's going to be 3.9, 4.4, like, whoa. And then one day you're going to wake up and be pushing 5%. And I don't think that's particularly good for the stock market. Of course, the rub is when does that happen? And I think it's happening right before our eyes. Clearly, the stock market, though, is impervious at this point. All right. Meantime, more pain for Macy's. The retailer dropping more than 14% since last week. The chart master thinks it may be time to take it back to the store. Mm. Carter mm-hmm. Worth of Worth Charting joins us now with more on that. And uh, broader retail. Carter, what do you, so you're saying simply sell Macy's, huh? Yeah, I mean, what a mess. I guess we know we have a very bifurcated uh, consumer, right? Things like Urban Outfitter up 43%, AEO, right? William Sonoma up 30 I mean, Abercrombie & Fitch up uh, almost 200 when you've got things like Macy's uh, down 40% or Dollar General Target down 28 So a real winner-loser market. But let's look at three identical charts of Macy's earnings coming up this week, along with obviously many retailers. So this is these are weekly uh, bar charts. We're hovering right at the lows of the past three months. So mid-September, mid-October, here we are, uh, mid-November, right at the 1075 plus minus level. And I think we break. So the annotations you see there, that's one of three. Look, it's the second way to draw the lines. Um, You can call it what you want to call it, but it it has all the elements of an important uh, reversal from obviously a year ago with prospective further downside. Final way to draw the lines, uh, we've broken down out of these converging trend lines. Now, the COVID low is down at 443, and that's a long way from here, obviously at, at 1074. But there are many stocks in retail that have already taken out their COVID lows, and there's no reason we can't get a whole lot closer to them in the case of Macy's. Which other stocks, Carter, just before we, we move on to Walmart Target, which other stocks are, have taken out COVID lows? 
in retail? Well, let's see. Uh, obviously, Dollar General, uh, Foot Locker. Uh -huh. Um, uh, Macy's is close, but not there yet. I, I don't right. know if Target has, but it's real close. So, wow. we, uh, and certainly beyond retailing, there's a lot of stocks that have taken out yeah. their COVID loss. Let's, um, let's get to the Walmart and Target then, since we're on that subject. Sure. Yeah, let, let's look. These are these are bigger, obviously more important uh, animals, and let's go right to the charts. So it really depends on where you start your uh, narrative. In terms of the all data, of course, Walmart is about a six x over Target, going back to 1980 blue line, orange line. But look at over the past 25 years, actually. it's They're even money, essentially, with Target slightly ahead, which is to say Target is the high flyer, and this massive giveback simply brings it back in line with Walmart. Um, another way to do this, of course, is to look at a ratio chart. First, though, now look at here is the current spread. And this is a two-year chart, and that's what catches the fancy. Do you think, wow, maybe there should be some mean reversion, one up 14, the other down 60. But the purest way to do this, again, is to look at one line, a ratio, and that's what this is. This is what you see on the screen is Target divided by Walmart, which depicts a relative strength line. And what that's essentially saying is Target is not the steady one. I'm sorry, Walmart's not the steady one. Target is the high flyer. It's boom bust. And this current bust, though, only takes it back to maybe where it was 8, 10, 12, uh, 20 years ago. It's still in line with Walmart. But finally, let's look at the two charts themselves. And, and this then uh, gets the issue. Walmart, um, there's another three, four bucks to go, and it will be up against that um, trend line. I think there's limited upside. I think this stock is loved. And for those who are into fundamentals, price to book, tangible, Funny price metals. to earning, price to sales, it's it. all at the highest it's ever been. Um, and then COVID lows for Target, $90.17. There's no reason we can't go visit them. Okay, so I get, that was my question, Carter. Are we at a place where Target still hasn't really given up the ghost um, and, and that, that spread, which I, I do follow that ratio, and I do think we have a, an extreme, and I think chasm is the word guy's mm. been educating us on his Starts wordsmith. With a C. And with a C-H. <laughs> um, you think we're going to COVID lows, and why not um, when you consider that the headwinds they might be facing now are, are very different than COVID and they might be more uh, long-lasting? Right. And so then it depends on who you are in the market, right? A short-term player would play for the break. I think that you get to those COVID lows. And the long-term player looks at that ratio chart and says, we know Target's the boom-bust one. But at this point, if I can sweat it out and take a one- or two-year view, I think I can make money in mean reversion in the spread. So both those approaches are valid. It's just knowing who you are and what your time frame is. When you say for Walmart, um, for those who, who own that one, that it has just another 3 or $4 upside and then, and then it sort of tops out, what sort of top is that? Um, is that going to be the end of its run for now, or how long does that top stay well, in place? You're very kind to say that it'll top out because that's, that's, uh, that's a judgment, and we don't know that it will. But my thinking is it can eke out some gains from here. It just feels awfully perfect, awfully loved, awfully um, uh, unquestioned. All right, Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton-Worth of Worth Charting. Um, we prompted Carter to look at that spread since that is the premise of the trade that Tim and Karen both have mm -hmm. in terms of being in target. Karen, what are you thinking here? Just in terms of that yeah. spread, I mean, we talked a lot about how Walmart's business is different where the grocery business is, they're really good at that. It's not a huge margin business. And for Target, they have that business, it's smaller, but it's taking away the consumer's changes are making their lower margin because they're not buying as many of the sort of home goods and lifestyle and apparel and things like that. I have been wrong for a while thinking, all right, this is, this is about as low as, as Target's going to go. 
But this divergence between the multiple of the two, I do think, is really, really stretched. And so that as a pairs trade, I think, is really interesting. And I'm not in that spread right now. I'm actually still long some Walmart and a lot less Walmart and started to initiate a position in Target. I, I do think Carter said it, though. Isn't Walmart priced to perfection on some level? There's no question. You're expecting four and a half to five percent. I see the street like tweaking up those comps uh, on U.S. comps. And I do think that that's something to be to be wary about. On a trailing, it's 32 times. Um, that gets really expensive. Let me just add one thing, if I could. If you look at Target, if you look at Kroger as a as just as a supermarket business and think about that multiple under 10, what does that mean for the rest of Walmart's business if they should have a similar mm-hmm. supermarket multiple for that part of their business? That makes it really high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, that COVID low in Target, which I think is, what do you say, 90 bucks-ish? I mean, it hasn't, yeah, it's bounced recently. But if you look at close 107 and change today, the 52-week low is basically 103. It does not trade well in the face of a broader market this time. Okay, I think you have to be concerned in the earnings that Target's going to have another one of these situations where, you know, an inventory glutter, they just missed the boat in terms of the product mix. They have not acquitted themselves particularly well over the last two years. You're a believer that unemployment is going to go to 5%. I am. Exactly, which is why I lay that out. Can you be a fan of Target here, or is Walmart really the answer for you? If you're you're looking at me, I'll say Walmart is the answer. I think under that circumstance, Target goes a lot lower. No matter what the the premium valuation is. I believe so. Dan? Uh, There's just so few valuations that trade at 25, this sort of premium to its peers and to the market right now. So you guys are saying, like, this is is Walmart. This is a mid-single-digits grower over the next couple years. And if Target's had all of these problems but it's still expected to grow at a higher pace, at some point you will see money come out of Walmart into Target. It just makes sense. Unless there's something that is so impaired about their business. But to, to Carter's point on the technicals, you know, he showed us that resistance, that one year line where it's almost up to if you look at like the, the support line and it's pretty steep off of this year's lows, you get back down 10 percent pretty easily. That's a couple turns on that multiple. And then you have people probably coming back into it. But it could do that for not anything. No disaster is what you know what I mean. It could just be kind of this one is such Riff. an outlier relative. Well, to and and he, he set it up where there's almost two timelines for the trade. Right. He said mm-hmm. the long for the long term player, that spread trade. I think that long-term spread looks really interesting. It doesn't mean it can't drift lower. Coming up, the semi-surge continues for NVIDIA, the chipmaker climbing back toward its all-time high after unveiling a new AI product. So can anything stop this seemingly unstoppable stock? Plus, a big bump for Boeing shares taking off as a plane maker inks a major aircraft deal, the buyer, and how much they're paying ahead. Don't go anywhere fast when he's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. <laughs> you got to address that. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, what? Sweet that was the thank you. Yeah. But we were Litter cranking. Yeah, I know. We were cranking cranking the break. I don't know that's if anybody actually impressive. heard it at home. Oh, they did. No, I could hear it. What, okay. That's what was that's going on. That's what we on. do. Anyway, we're talking chips here. NVIDIA outperforming the broader semi space today, eking out a gain as the broad industry dropped. The move coming after NVIDIA unveiled a new high end processing unit used for training AI models. The stock is now up nine days in a row and has risen nearly 20% this month alone. It all comes ahead of President Biden's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping this Wednesday. It'll be the first meeting between the two leaders in a year. Dan, where are you on NVIDIA? Hmm. I'm on the sidelines because when you have a stock that moves 20% in a straight line, which is what it has done, it is more than, it's almost tripled the performance of the S&P 500. Just put some math around that. Okay, that's more than $200 billion in market cap in a straight line. So the H100 chip that is in really high demand is now the H200 people, and it's going to use high bandwidth memory. Okay, I mean, listen, this is all the stuff that you would expect out of a chip like this that's training these models and doing all this sort of stuff. So I guess my point is, is like when this sort of headline comes out after that sort of move, I don't think it's the thing you want to buy. We know that they report next week, and you better get this one right because the gains that they're having after they're putting up their numbers and that sort of thing are, are kind of getting smaller to the upside. The magnitude of the beats are getting smaller, that sort of thing. And at some point, I think that's going to be factored in in a stock that trades at a very high premium. And, and to me, is all of the enthusiasm that is encapsulated about AI is in this stock right here, you know, and so, I don't know, I think it's a dangerous name here. Well, we for quarters, we've been saying that their earnings, the next earnings report is going to be a key earnings report, but the next earnings report, November 21st, seems like it will be a key earnings report because we will look to them for some sort of guidance for next year. So do these trends continue? Where are these, where's the H200 chip in relationship to Intel and AMD, which, who's, you know, they also have stronger chips that are going to be released later on this year. So how does it all stack up here? Well, it's looking like it's similar to the last quarter's earnings, right? Obviously, there were huge expectations, and we expected a giant beat over what they said, which was a giant beat right. alone. We expect that again this time. So normally, I like to think more about the fundamentals, but this is really kind of a game here, right? And to your point, of, can they, can they continue to put up enough bigger beats to satisfy this mark, this stock. I don't. I'm sort of thinking it might be a sell the sell the news. What are you doing? Uh, sold some upside calls okay. too soon, um, but I, I. That's what happened last time. I think guy knows the numbers in his head exactly what happened, but I think that may happen again this time. However, I think the lead that they have is still in place mm-hmm. for a while, and I think we'll get some sense of how big this AI market is. I mean, I'm interested to hear what their what their backlog is, what you know, how much of couldn't they fulfill in orders. So I think there's still some legs to the story. But in the short term, I'm looking to sell either right before or on earnings. I, I'm not sure it even I, I mean, the, the how big the AI market we has already been proven to nobody. No one really cares or seems to even I mean, in other words, it's big and it's getting bigger and it's getting absurd. Um, I think the importance here and I don't have they announced pricing on this chip yet because I don't exactly. think they have. So, I mean, it, what's key is that the, the product cadence, um, as they said it would, is increasing. Uh, the, the key is also. I think I think analysts are trying to extrapolate if this is 40 to 90 percent more powerful. And if we look at the A100 to uh, ultimately where you got with that next chip, where you got with the H100, where are we going to be on 200? That's kind of what's going on here. The fact that the stock is basically within a whisper of at least a closing, maybe not the intraday gap in July, but I mean, or, or yeah, back over the summer. It's it's extraordinary. And I get it back. I get back to the semiconductors as a group, which which 
have made a relative high. And, and it's once again NVIDIA that's doing it. So you got to get it right. And if you don't get it right, I think the group's in some trouble. And as someone that's been saying the leadership coming from semis and, and, and the NASDAQ 100 is something that until it stops, I think you, you kind of go with it. The NASDAQ 100 is at a triple top on a relative basis against the S&P going February 21, uh, 12, 21, again, uh, December of 21. And I, I think it is something that's worth watching. If you fell asleep at the end of August, NVIDIA was 485. It's 485 today. Meanwhile, it went from 45 down to 410, back to 470, below 400. And here we are again. The moves have been staggering. So Karen's right. We set up exactly the same way into the 21st as we did three months ago. Really quickly, though, it's not just uh, NVIDIA. Intel is now at a 52-week high. AMD's had this big run. Taiwan Semi has run. We talked about global foundries last week. So there are some early cyclical indications that the sector is picking itself up. Last point I'll just make is that when AMD and Intel do have those chips to compete, they're going to compete on price. And that can weigh on margins. And that could be part of the story, too. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A big Boeing bounce. Shares of the plane maker heading for the clouds as new aircraft deals have investors sitting in first class. What it could mean for Boeing's business. Plus, the weight loss battle rages on and one pharma name could be tipping the scales with some new data. How the drugs are tackling more than just obesity. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We'll be right back after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Boeing topping the tape today, rising 4% and claiming the top spot on the Dow. The move coming after some multi-billion dollar deals at the Dubai Air Show. Emirates announcing a $52 billion purchase of Boeing 777 aircrafts. The deal cements Emirates' status as the largest operator of 777s in the world. There are also reports China could end its freeze on Boeing at the upcoming APEC summit and announce a deal for Boeing 737 jets. Tim, you're liking this news. I like the news. And, and again, goes back to 2017, this freeze. I, I do think you're getting selective headlines out of this, this air show. I mean, Airbus got uh, a, essentially a, a, a very similar order from Emirates. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good news. Uh, listening also to Boeing outline their plans for 777 certification and some of the other dynamics, at least around the technical elements of some of their backlog, I think is just part of what all this news is. If you're a Boeing investor, you're investing for free cash flow and you're going you, your, your holy grails to get back to the days of 2017, 2018, when you had essentially 25 or 28 bucks a share with a higher stock price. But you, you basically had a 10 to 15 percent free cash flow yield in Boeing. That's not been the story. And, and it's not really been about the regulatory dynamics. It's really been about everything else. Do we believe that all this talk about normalization and all the things that we kind of talked around in the first block around COVID and what it's meant in a slower rollout? I think this plays into into the aircraft order cycle, and I think it's all going back to normal, and I think it's great for Boeing. Yeah, the bit about China, though, China, which has not bought Boeing planes since, what, 2018 or something like that, um, that seems a little bit empty 
only because they're really emphasizing their own aerospace industry. So it's like, For yeah, sure. Boeing, come and sell us planes, but we might not buy many. Timing is interesting, too, ahead, yeah, right? right? So, I mean, let's throw that out there. And Tim is right about everything he said. The stock that's been, and by the way, on the way down, I've been dead wrong, but SPR from 14 and three quarters to 24 and three quarters over the course of a month and a half, they priced a 9 million share secondary about a week or so ago at 22, held it like a champ. Miles Walton, who's the axe in the space from Wolf, just upgraded the stock. We're at a three-year downtrend. You get a close above 25 and a half, 26, and I think SPR is the way to play this. All right, coming up, slimming down and slashing risk, the new data on Novo Nordisk's obesity drug and how the results could help with more than just weight loss and diabetes. Mizuho healthcare specialist Jared Holes will be here to uh, dig into this data and what it means for pharma stocks. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing mixed to kick off the week. The Dow at more than 50 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both in the red with small losses. Shares of Warner Brothers Discovery dropping more than 2% after analysts at Guggenheim said the media company has an NFL problem and suggested they could benefit from potentially buying a company with streaming rights. Warner Brothers, which kicked off the year with a 56% gain in January, is now up just 4% this year. Meantime, Novo Nordisk closing in the red after presenting data from its select heart disease study over the weekend showing obesity drug Wigovi has other major benefits in addition to weight loss. The drug reduced the overall rate of heart attack, stroke, and cardiovascular-related death by 20% among study participants. Eli Lilly gaining 2.5% while the beaten-down IHI medical devices ETF bounced 2%. For more on the impact of Novo's landmark findings, let's bring in Mizuho healthcare sector strategist Jared Holtz. Jared, great to have you with us. Thank you. We knew about this 20% a reduction. So were there any disappointments even at the margins in this data which caused the stock to pull back in the medical in the device makers to bounce? Yeah, there weren't too many issues here. I think the things that the street was picking at, one, the international population did a lot better than participants from the U.S. So that was an abnormality that investors thought was odd and needs to be reconciled somehow between, you know, now and you know, the next study that Nova presents. I think the second thing is it did not hit statistical significance on death, but it was still very impressive, just if you want to nitpick on the, on the fringe in terms of the study in, in detail, it, that did not hit. Um, other than that, I thought it was very, very clean, and I think that's why you saw the stocks recover today when they were down early. I don't know if you saw Dr. Eric Topol's substack on the select data, but he was, he was sort of questioning um, how many people actually had an absolute reduction in the events, given the price and given how long you had it. So he said an absolute reduction of the primary endpoint is only 1.5 for every 100 people directed. The cost is over 1000 bucks a month, and you had to be on this regime for more than three years to achieve that endpoint. How, do we, how should we start to think about this in terms of how much the drug has run up and the realities of what you achieve for that price? Yeah, well, there are certainly issues, and I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis, and I think it's going to be determined by the patients and the doctors to sit down and kind of understand how much benefit that they expect each patient to get over time. That was the one other thing from the trial that I think the street had a little bit of an issue with, is there was clear separation at the beginning, almost immediately, and then during year three, the curves kind of converged and then improved going forward. I think the issue is how many patients actually benefit um, significantly longer term and what defines longer term where we are in that cycle. It's very hard to know, but I thought it was an interesting perspective. 
that sort of, I don't want to say nitpicking, but those sorts of commentaries and critiques, does that make it less likely that there is reimbursement unless these drugs are approved by Congress? You know, weight loss drugs as a class are approved by Congress to be covered by Medicare. Can it be covered as a cardiovascular drug? I think it can. It's debatable. Obviously, the managed care companies are going to try to push back on any therapy that's available, at least widely and for this sort of a population. That, to me, is the, the biggest overhang on these stocks, if there is one. I mean, they haven't traded like there is, but if we want to kind of introduce a debate, it's going to be broader coverage and then pricing longer term. Jared, so just getting away from this, this uh, study to more broadly, so we believe, I think, Novo Nordisk has a 17 percent reduction-ish versus Monjaro at maybe about 21 percent. And so when Monjaro is more widely available, how much do you think they will take away from, um, from uh, Wigovi? And what is it priced for? How are the stocks priced relative to one another for that what would seem like an eventual move with high likelihood, right? Yeah, I think once it becomes more widely available, patients that are just looking at this from a weight loss standpoint and nothing else would probably opt to get uh, Lilly's drug because the percentage of weight loss is higher. Um, obviously, they're both going through some supply constraints at the current time. Novo put a press release out on Friday. They're investing $6 billion to get manufacturing up that can satisfy demand, which is, I think, very significant. But yeah, I think the Lilly drug, there's no doubt that their data so far has been better. And I think that's why you saw that stock kind of diverge away from Novo today when they were both down early. Lilly was the one that got bought more aggressively. I think the street or investors believing that whatever we saw this weekend from Novo is going to be even better going forward for Lilly. Jared, you talk to a lot of investors. When you look at these two names, it seems like that's all that people want to talk about in this space. There has to be others. They're up, you know, Lilly's up 100% off its 52-week lows. Mm -hmm. Nova's up 80-some uh, percent or so. They're over a trillion dollars in combined market cap. Where else can investors look if they believe that this is a mega trend mm -hmm. and they don't want to pay? The, the, the valuations are really steep for Farmer right here. Agree. Um, you know, I think it's responsible to diversify away from these as well. I mean, I think they're great, obviously, but this has been the only storyline for 18 months in healthcare. We've barely talked about anything else. Um, I think Merck is interesting in pharma, trades 12 times next year. Obviously, Keytruda is this massive drug that will eventually erode towards the end of the decade, but they've done certain things from a business development standpoint to kind of offset that already. I think the, you know, are they behind the eight ball a little bit? Possibly, but I think it's attractive. Um, AstraZeneca did a deal last week for a phase one oral obesity drug. No idea if it's going to work, but I feel like the market value that we've seen created for Novo and Lilly is so monstrous that even if it's mediocre, it's probably worth something. So maybe those two are worth looking at if you want to diversify away from these winners. I, I thought that the pop, and, and it was a small pop, granted, with AstraZeneca on that news is really interesting. I mean, it's a Chinese company. Phase one study it was so early on. It was mm -hmm. oral. I mean, all these different things that, that really make it seem like, what are they buying? What are you getting as an investor? And yet people like that. Is there sort of just this mentality amongst healthcare investors these days where they want to go to these sort of blue sky themes? We were talking a couple weeks ago about Vertex's um, new painkiller, mm -hmm. which could be non-addictive, et cetera, the answer to opioids, whatever, in the stock. Um, is, is in the sky right now. So I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, is that kind of what you're getting? They don't want to be in the Pfizer and the Merck with good valuations. I think so. I mean, I think the street is basically saying we want access to massive markets. And obviously obesity is one, pain is another. Alzheimer's could be a third, but the data has been debatable or suspect depending on who you talk to, at least not pristine enough 
to really move the stocks. But definitely, that's why I think a lot of the oncology names and the broader XBI, we talk about biotech a lot, these are companies developing assets with fairly limited opportunities. That, I think that's what's held them back. Jared, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Thank Jared you. Holtz. Guy. See the glow? His Browns won yesterday. Good for them. Jared's <laughs> the man. Medtronic device makers way too cheap, I think. Bounce today. They report on the 21st. But feels like it's been zero sum in big cap pharma. You're in Lilly and you're selling J&J, which is $3 from a multi-year low. And Merck hasn't traded well as all. We have pointed out a number of times, Lilly gives you opportunities to buy it cheaper. It's going to do it again. I think Merck and the, the key trader question is really the overhang because uh, you know, otherwise the valuation, by the way, this this was not quite Lilly-esque, but this was the darling stock in 22. I mean, it outperformed everybody. Uh, that was a great question, was it? Because I think if investors are looking at healthcare, I think just the whole aura or lack thereof, uh, the, 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 essentially the reasons for investing in healthcare stocks, the defensive nature of them, the, the predictability, and I realize there are pipelines that come and go. But that seems to be out the window. I mean, there's basically a couple halves. There's three or four halves, and everybody else is a have-not, and that includes all the biotech names. And I think that's an opportunity. And I think it's an opportunity into next year when I think the stock market's going to be a lot harder uh, to invest in. Yeah, Karen? Yeah, I think that's where all the all the money has just been sucked out of all of those names. I mean, Tim and my Pfizer just looking at that today, you know, Our ridiculous Pfizer. PE yeah. multiple, five percent yield. You By the way, it's nice five. to have you on board, Karen. It feels oh, good. I've been there. Been, loves company. I've been on so. this ship for a while. Okay, good. I think though that I mean, so many of them, five percent yields, and you know, relatively low PEs. I understand, of course, that there's a, you know, specific issues with each of them, but it does seem just to be tremendously out of favor. Those things tend to change. Coming up, the EV long game, the space rallying today on the back of an investment from a major pension fund. Is a run sustainable? More on that next. And going nuclear, Cameco hitting a high it hasn't seen in more than a decade after a bullish RBC note. We'll get you the trade on that next. Welcome back to Fast Money. RBC resuming coverage of uranium producer Cameco with an outperform rating, a $70 price target, saying it is set to become a leading player in the nuclear industry and double its EBITDA by 2035. Cameco hitting its highest level in more than 12 years today. Tim's Cameco. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> nice to have a couple of these, too. So, by the way, leading player. About to, I mean, it is a leading, leading player. player. What, yeah. what are we talking about? This is a company uh, in terms of capacity and, you know, the Cigar Lake, uh, the efficiency and the new capacity coming online. When you look at the dynamics around the spot market, too, and where I think there are uh, I think there are probably people short in the spot market. I think there are producers that may, in fact, be. I think there are utilities that are stockpiling. I think there are dynamics here. where I think you could have an extraordinary squeeze in uranium prices. And we said this when Sprott was on. These guys are great. They're in the middle of this industry. And I think some of the smarter guys there. You know, that's where I don't think you can even really know where you want the numbers you want to put on these companies. So you don't even need to do that. I think you look at the core business, you look at the free cash flow, you look at the numbers and the guidance. And I think Cameco has been pretty conservative, frankly. And I think this trade has a lot left. Is there um, a benefit that that, you know, Cameco is getting from people going out of solar into uranium in terms of within the alternative space? Solar's facing all sorts of headwinds in terms of financing, um, impossible cutbacks. In terms of allocations, I, yeah. I, I I get it. Um, I think solar has been such a disaster. And I think people that have been investing in Cameco and uranium, frankly, a lot of these people have been at it a long time. I think I think the dynamics on energy transition, especially around nuclear, uh, the building blocks of this are geopolitical. And some of this, uh, I think, is well entrenched. 
Coming up, California cruising, how a West Coast pension fund is boosting the EV makers and how the moves are sparking some electricity in the options markets. We've got the details next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting with her own Sarah Eisen ahead of the premiere of her new Formula One documentary, Inside Track. That airs this Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. You won't want to miss that one. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. EV makers kicking off the week with some electric gains. The space getting a boost after the California Public Employees Retirement System, America's largest pension fund, added to its positions in Tesla and Rivian per an SEC filing. Those names, along with Lucid Motors and Lee Auto, all jumping on this news. A different story, though, after hours. Fisker dropping after posting weaker-than-expected sales and earnings in the latest quarter. The miss was... Astounding, actually, uh, in Fisker. The stock is down by 14%. But in terms of the others, Guy, um, what do you make of uh, the moves? Rivian, if you get, look, it's had a big move today. I get it. Look at a long term chart. It hasn't gone anywhere since that when everybody was talking about it's a new best thing and its stock has been grim death the last couple of years. This is a stock you trade and given this bounce, you sell it without question. The Fisker move, to your point, I want to say now, if we if we open here, this isn't and is it an all time low in the stock? It might be, which is remarkable. What we're all focused on are we've there's been a bigger picture look at profitability with an EV, and for for all the solar stocks that are going to be zeros, there are definitely a handful of EVs out there. I'm not saying it's going to be Rivian. Uh, we know that they're heavily at, at least between the strategics and there's a fair amount of cash there. The burn is extraordinary. I mean, Lucid. I mean, that burn. I you know like. So, these are not names I want to own. I can tell you that right now. And if you look at the EV space, uh, I think that there's still more pain to go. It's interesting. Okay. What? Tesla's mm-hmm. up 80% of the year. Mm-hmm. It's reported three quarters this year, one in January, or actually four quarters. It's gone down nine and a half percent over the last three quarters after they've given their results, given their guidance. CEO Elon Musk has gone on the call taking questions from analysts, okay? It's still up 80%, that's that's all I'm saying here. So what does that say to you guys about the fundamentals going on in the market leader in this space right now? To me, I just take those three days and I say they're not particularly great. That's just my take, okay? Leave it at that. Wait. I'm sorry. I must be being obtuse about this. Mm-hmm. So you, you back up. You just overlook. You're saying to overlook the three days. No, I'm saying because it's still up. So the stock's up 80 percent. Uh huh. Yeah. But the three days, the last three times, the company has given their earnings guidance. Uh-huh. The stock has declined nearly 10 percent the next day. Right. Okay. What I'm saying is something's going. There's just a big disconnect between the people who buy it and hold it, and the people who are selling it right after the results. Is that, I mean, okay. I'm not, I wasn't, right. I, I didn't mean to make you look obtuse, but I'm just saying, like, if you just look at it <laughs> oh, through I that I look obtuse all the time. No, no, no. you really don't. No, no you really don't. Never, but, never. but I, I mean, part, do you understand what I'm saying? Does anyone? I do. I, I mean, I think I'm saying is, when actual data comes out, right. then we then, see. Right. And right. you see that the true stock should be. Right. The true fundamental And yet. It and always, it still goes higher. It, well, but maybe, good. how do you know that that's but, not the But Guy story. would tell you, has it, it's still down 50% from where it was. Actually, what I would have said was, I would have channeled my inner Tim Robbins and say, yes. how could you be so obtuse no. for you Shawshank Redemption fans out there? And that would have gotten me into probably solitary for a month or so. Anyway, Back to you. digress. Um, not the first time. There's person <laughs> who thinks there's at least a short-term opportunity to go long Tesla shares. Let's bring in chart master Carter Worth back on the fast line to talk about this trade. This is a late afternoon sort of note you shot out there, Carter. What do you see? Yeah, kind of fun. And just that, a trade. And uh, trades uh, have their moment in time. And you either do them or you don't them. And they either work or they don't. But uh, Tesla dropped in gaps. It was a Thursday, October 19th, when 
Elon Musk came out and said that basically higher interest rates could sap EV demand. It dropped 10% that day, right, uh, 240 to 220, essentially. And we're now reapproaching that gap. So it's simply a gap fill uh, trade uh, looking for a quick move from where we close today, 223 to about 240. All right, Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth. You see that? Gap fill. Yeah. And the little reverse head and shoulders. I mean, Carter's spot on it. I think he would say if it gets there, you sell it again to Dan's earlier point. Uh, One options trader, though, making a bullish bet on Lucid Motors today. Mike's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah. So we did see above average call volume in Lucid. This after a lot of bearish activity in the name last week. The busiest contract were the four strike calls. Those expire this coming Friday. We saw a purchase of a thousand of those for 14 cents. Ultimately, over 14,000 of those calls traded hands. Important point here, and that is that this, of course, has a very high short interest. So a lot of the call buying that we might be seeing, especially the short dated stuff, could be bets on a short squeeze because the longer dated paper is worried about that cash burn that Tim was talking about in this one and in Fisker as well. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, up next, you got your final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Talk about some uranium. Let's talk about other miners. Let's talk about gold miners. The setup here, everything. Inflation, Fed, otherwise, GDX, way to go. Karen. Yes, so sometimes pendulums swing too far. URI had decent earnings. Pendulum swung down to 387. It's now $75 higher on no news. Too low then, a little too high now. I'm selling some upside calls. Dan. Yeah, so if rates bounce, we have a hot CPI number. I'll bet you banks go the other way back down to the seller of XLF. Guy. Tim Robbins uh, just says hi to Jack. you, Mel. Big fan of the show. He's a huge, he's a huge Ranger fan as well. So you know that, that I do. I've hung out with him at a Ranger game. Uh, SPR, well, Melissa. That's a good name drop there. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money on this Monday. See you back here tomorrow at five for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 